head into the theater and the usher nods me in. They know me here. I descend down the staircase behind the movie screen that only select people know about. The door at the bottom opens and I walk in. The sound of movie spoilers fill the air. The barkeep has my drink ready and motions me to the back. The rest of the crew are here already. This is my type of place and these are my type of people. Join me as we discuss the inner secrets of cinema. Have a seat in the spoiler room. And welcome to another edition of the Spoiler Room, folks. We are kicking off a th- our theme of the month, which is badass women. But these aren't the normal badass women that usually come up in conversations like your Sigourney Weavers, little ha- Linda Hamiltons. We're trying to look at the other badass women out there that I think sometimes uh, get overlooked. And we're kicking it off with a, a badass woman in the form of Kate Beckinsale and her playing Celine in underworld from 2003 and tonight i got a great crew with me to talk about uh, this interesting horror action uh adventure film if you will and first off it's the bfd himself he's back in the spoiler room it's none other than mr glenn bittner hello glenn bittner how are you today yes yes (laughs) he's going to say yes to everything tonight i think folks no (laughs) no (laughs) Almost had him. And next to him, we have back in the spoiler room is David. David, hello. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing okay. Yourself? I'm doing well. Uh, glad you could join us in here. And next to David is the Bowtie Man himself. Paul is back with us in the spoiler room to talk about Kate Beckinsale in leather. Hello, Paul. Hello. How are you? I'm. Uh, thank you for inviting me to the episode. You're welcome, and so glad to have you on here. And yes, folks, as I mentioned, we are talking about Underworld from 2003, directed by Mr. Len Weissman. The war itself had become more perilous. The weapons had evolved. But our orders remained the same. Hunt them down and kill them off, one by one. They are the immortal damned. One family lusting for power and wealth. The chain has never been broken, not in 14 centuries. Another driven by revenge. Soon we'll defeat the vampires on their own ground. What? Do you see this human? He's attractive. I can't be positive, but I'm beginning to think the Lycans are following him. Hold on, Michael. Why are they after you? Who are you people? You're in the middle of a war that's been raging for the better part of a thousand years. A blood feud between vampires and Lycans. Werewolves. Now, a decision must be made. Why did you bring him here? You saved my life. Between an oath sworn centuries ago. Her human. He's not a human at all. He's a lichen. And a power. There can be no such union. Greater than vengeance. You'll be lucky if I can convince the Kaisal to spare your life. Absolution will be yours the moment you kill Michael.
underworld. <laughs> now I could give the uh, summary from I am Debim, unless one of you fine gentlemen want to try to explain to our audience what Underworld is about. Just the first one. Let's try to keep it to the first movie. <laughs> Would anyone care to try? Sure. Go for it. Well, Underworld is kind of uh, it, it kind of deals with uh, with. Uh, several characters, but uh, uh, one female badass character who uh, ends up uh, being like some kind of a death dealer, and um, she it, it, we're, we're, we start the film somewhat smack dab in the middle of a war between lichens and vampires, and apparently there's some bloodline that supposedly can taint. The bloodlines. <laughs> and join the bloodlines, if you will. Exactly. There's a human descendant from one of the uh, original, uh, I believe, uh, Lycans. And uh, Kate Beckinsale's character, Celine, Death Dealer, and she tracks down as human. And, well, things happen, and, and sparks fly, of course, with that as well. And soon she's torn between the world she's known and the life she's known. And, uh, well, you know, kind of her feelings for this human and the fact that everything she did know about her race and her history um, aren't exactly what they seem. So, Underworld, uh, 2003, uh, yeah, Paul, we'll start with you. Uh, when you first saw Underworld, what did you think of this film? Uh, right off the bat from the very first trailer episode, watching her jump off the building and just landing on the ground and just continuing walking forward, that set the tone for me. I really, really wanted to watch this film uh, since I saw that moment. It was just a great thing. I, I used to play, around that time, uh, a role-playing game called Vampire the Masquerade. Mm -hmm. So my friends and I, we just I played loved, the same game. Yeah. Oh, so this this was right up our alley. This is, this is the type of experience that you would get in that World of Darkness uh, setting. Uh, so, yeah, I was very excited about this film when it came out, and uh, I enjoyed watching the film when it first came out. So, <laughs> Speaking of uh, that role-playing game, we have a role-playing game expert, one in particular. I'm glad he's in the room to talk about this tonight because there was some controversy with uh, a certain role-playing company and this there film. Was there. there was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When? Do you know anything about that little bit of a controversy? Oh, yeah. Uh, so White Wolf, who made Vampire the Masquerade, um, sued uh, the studio uh, yeah. because of, I don't remember how many. It was it was over a dozen similarities that they cited between their game, uh, Vampire the Masquerade, and uh, the movie. And it never went to court. It was settled out of court for an undisclosed amount. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, when I saw the trailer for this, I'm like, my first thought was, oh, cool. They made Vampire the Masquerade the movie. <laughs> that was my, my first thought. And it's, I mean, it is so, so much. I mean, then this the thing is, I don't think a lot of people realize, people who are not role players really don't realize how much that game has influenced a lot of what you see in <laughs> vampires in both uh, films and TV, mm -hmm. uh, even to this day. I mean... The whole, you can pretty much attribute a vast majority of the whole leather and uh, the the whole goth scene, you know, image that they portray, you know, with, you know, everyone's into industrial music and everyone's, you know, all that type of stuff. That's all taken 
from from the White Wolf role playing games. And Blade. Um, <laughs> Blade. Yeah, but but Blade got it from mm-hmm. White Wolf. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it's just, uh, and this one is just so much uh, Vampire the Masquerade. Um, so yeah, it, there was there was a bit of controversy and. I remember when it came out, and I remember shortly after hearing about the lawsuit, and and then nothing. I heard nothing else because 2003, you know, everything's plastered everywhere on the internet, like it was, like it is now. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I remember that happening. I didn't. I personally was like, cool, whatever, you know. And the studio paid him money, and I'm like, cool, great. Now I just watch my movie and still play my role playing games. As long (laughs) as I can, as long as I keep doing both, I'm happy. Uh, 17 mm-hmm. counts of copyright infringement, they claimed, apparently. Uh, over 70 points of similarity. Uh, so uh, since it did have that familiarity, did that take away at all your enjoyment of this film, or uh, did you enjoy this film at all when you saw it, Glenn? I enjoyed it for what it is, which I, I consider it to be a, a fun popcorn flick. Mm-hmm. Um, and no, it, it didn't take away. If anything, it just uh, it it felt more familiar stepping into it. So I was, you know... I was kind of all set going into it because of of, of the similarities with, with White Wolf and Vampire the Masquerade. Yeah, I I uh, I wasn't too familiar with the role playing game. I did play a video game of Vamp- Vampire Masquerade, and uh, just seeing that because it was based off of the role playing game, I'm like, yeah, this really has an underworld feel to it. So, uh, <laughs> I, I I caught some of the similarities there as well, and and some of the books that I've I've uh, looked over and read. Uh, still got to play it one day, that role-playing game. I hear it's really fun. So, uh, David, how about you with Underworld and your first time seeing it? Well, my first time seeing it, I actually saw this one in the theaters. Um, and um, I, I, too, actually played uh, the Vampire of the Masquerade. So uh, thinking back to, uh, to the role-playing game, I played it on computer um, when I could play it. I, I think I actually played it online. <laughs> with with a few people at the time, and uh, now now that uh, both of you guys mentioned it, I can definitely see some very 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 similar you know qualities to Underworld, uh, at least the world surrounding it. So, it, 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 I I mean once Paul, uh, Paul said something about it, I was like, ding. <laughs> <laughs> so you enjoyed it though for what it was. Yeah, I enjoyed it for what it was. If anything, it 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 it, uh, it brought the world to life in a sort of graphic novel sort of way. Yeah, and that's what's interesting is this film feels like it's based off of a graphic novel, but it it's not. It actually was a story written by Len Weissman, who directed this. This was his first feature. Uh, he co-wrote it with uh, Kevin uh, Gervoy, I believe it is, and uh, some people were involved with the screenplay, but. Yeah, uh, it surprised me because uh, this is a film that, that, while it borrowed a lot from White Wolf, that's not necessarily a bad thing, it it was kind of a different original take on your your normal basic vampire hunter, you know, werewolf story, having them clash like this for so long. Uh, You know, Glenn, what do you think of the world that they built, their world building in this? Because I think that's really important in a genre film, especially for a first one. Uh, How did you feel about the world they built, like the mythos and and the history in it? Did it it feel uh, legit? Did it feel like they they actually put some thought into it? Uh, It it felt like they put 
enough thought where they were thinking that they were going to make more movies. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, they obviously they, they they did not set up the world building as expecting this, as or at least hoping this not to be just a one off. I think they 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 did a decent amount of of you know whole backstory and and let's create a history for this mythos. Yeah, I I enjoyed the mythos and and some of the rules they had, like how they're not supposed to look back in their history. Uh, you know, which of course Celine, uh, she she breaks that rule, of course. <laughs> um, how they're you know they got all these rules and such in there uh, that are constantly being broken, but they're they're still there. Uh, David, what do you think of the world that they built around our characters? Well, I think that uh, I, I think that I, I like the, uh, the, uh, the 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 different worlds that um, uh, uh, surrounded. That they that they built because uh, you got the werewolves uh, on the run from the vampires, you know, evidently, and uh, they evidently live in like uh, some like under uh, like abandoned buildings or whatnot, and the uh, the vampires live in like this mansion looking th- uh, thing. And of course, they introduce the uh, um, what is it the uh, council uh, uh, later on this. Right. Like uh, almost wild west, wild wild west looking like train. So, uh, <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, I, I definitely think that each of the worlds were definitely di- uh, different. I think the weapons of the um, both were definitely uh, somewhat different to be introduced. Uh, I guess so. Um, definitely think they yeah. built upon it. Yeah, I I think so too, and and. What I liked is a lot of it, most of it made sense, at least the weapons that they were using. You know, it's set in more modern times. Paul, uh, what about you in this world? Do you think, uh, you know, some of the stuff they set up in, did it make sense, like the weapons they used and and how things were, you know, like the hierarchy and such? Yes, it felt very uh, fleshed out. It felt felt, uh, like it was reasonable that you could could easily see that, that some uh, the two groups would invent these types of weapons against each other, knowing the the weaknesses of of the other uh, group. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it seemed very believable. It seemed uh, like I said, very well thought out, uh, and it it seemed a lot deeper. And I would be uh, just okay, you know, even watching it the first time. I was just okay with not diving into the history. Uh, you know, maybe maybe they did intentionally try to put in some sequel material, but for me, it was just enjoyment. It was just an enjoyment of being able to see something that rich and that that full of history. And it, it makes sense for these clans. You know, that you got vampires that can live many, many, you know, years and centuries. That it would make sense that they would have this history. I also very much enjoyed the whole class structure thing. It, mm-hmm. it felt it felt very real to me because it was kind of a reflection of of the class type struggle that we see in our own lives. Oh yeah, it's he's definitely using the genre to address class warfare. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one of the things that I found interesting about this is the fact that uh, while they don't state what's what city they're in that this is taking place the main events are uh it's actually not in the u.s uh so uh that's a refreshing change because most of these things you know they end up in the u.s at some point 
Um, but in here, no, it, it it's completely. I I forgot where exactly Bulgaria, because uh, there, there's a she's looking up the address for Michael, who is the human descendant uh, that everybody's uh, hunting for for his blood, and they actually have his address on there, and I so, believe it's somewhere in Bulgaria. <laughs> so <laughs> the fact that it it it's in Europe, I think, help add at least for your American mainstream audience give it still a bit of a different world feel as well you know i think setting it in that versus uh versus being in a a real you know like the u.s uh helps give it keep it that a kind of fanciful or, or unknown um you know feel to this world which helps set it all up now celine we have is the death dealer she's been hunting uh, werewolves and she is played by ket Kate Beckinsale. <clears throat> Kate Beckinsale playing Celine. Hey, David, how'd you feel about our main character, Kate Beckinsale playing Celine? I uh, I had a crush on her, uh, to be ah. honest, <laughs> uh, when uh, when it first came out, uh, and uh, I immediately after seeing this uh, film, uh, for any reason, would look for Kate Beckinsale in any film. So, I mean, I think I followed her to White Out. Uh, which was it was a smaller main uh, a smaller independent uh, film. Yeah, that was that, that one was a rough one. Yeah, it was kind of rough, but but I still I, I don't know I still kind of enjoyed her character in the film. So it was it was like yeah, but <laughs> I won't really go there too much. But uh, <laughs> I definitely uh, I definitely. Uh, I definitely had to follow her after this sure. film. So, um, yeah. Uh, and Paul, how about you with Kate Beckinsale's performance as Celine? Uh, she was very, very cool. She was like uh, that. Uh, it's appropriate that you called this whole theme month "Badass Women," and you've included Celine because, uh, to me, that was that is a badass character. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just the like I said from the trailer. I love that that moment. She just walks off. Boom. She keeps going. There's another scene where, where she's like, you know, she's got her guns blazing away and she's shooting at the floor. Loved all those things. And she she did not seem at all um, like she always seemed. It seemed very believable that she was raised in this world and that she was trained to fight the lichen. Uh, the way she is. So, I mean, there was, there was no hesitation in the way she fought. So her performance was just amazing uh, in that aspect because you really, truly believed that she was this vampire character that she portrayed. So, yeah, definitely did a wonderful job. And Glenn, how about you with Kate Beckinsale? Believable badass? Yes. Um, well, I mean, this is this is the thing is, is I, I've actually had this conversation, I think, when the second movie came out with someone where they couldn't believe that she'd be this. I'm like, she's a fucking vampire, dude. <laughs> I'm like, you know, it's like it's like when it, it'd be like saying, like, you know, well, why isn't, you know, Green Lantern super buff? Because he doesn't need to be because he's a superhero. Not you don't need to have like this, you know, giant hulking people to be strong and powerful. She's a vampire. That's it's magic, dude. Accept it and move on. <laughs> you know, and and I think uh, from an acting standpoint, she pulls it off brilliantly. I mean, it's it's you know, I mean, yeah, you know, I'm not going to say I don't like Kate Beckinsale in a bunch of tight leather. Of course I do, but 
I think I think she pulls off the badass. Uh, even though, yes, it's as I said, you know, she's a vampire. She should be tough and strong and powerful and all that, blah, blah, blah. But her acting, I think, leads to it. Um, I think she does it very, very well. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, in a number of ways, it's surprising, especially rewatching it for the, the show. I mean, one of the things for sure is the way her character, the way she portrays her character versus the other vampires who are not death dealers. I just love the complete difference in them where they're all vampires, but she's just like, yeah, I'm the soldier out in the fields and you guys are sitting here, you know, in your decadence all day in your mansion, whatever. Fuck you guys. Uh, <laughs> is the feeling you get from her. One of the things that I caught from her and I, I noticed it this time and I thought it was really cool because it's not often you see it in all honesty, even the, big uh, budget act, you know, the bigger budget, the big names for action movies. When she shoots her guns, there's only one scene out of all the times she's shooting her guns where she's actually blinking when she shoots. If you ever notice, uh, a lot of people, even, you know, uh, you know, your big guy stars who are familiar with guns, usually when they're firing, they're blinking. But here, she doesn't blink, which which added just like this little bit of extra, like, Holy crap, she is pretty badass, you know? Um, I don't know if you noticed that at all. Paul, did you notice that at all? That she, she doesn't actually blink, you know, like you normally see the reaction you get when you're shooting guns? Yes, exactly. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> do you think that added to the character at all? Uh, just a little bit, you know, the fact that uh, she she was didn't do that? I mean, because it's noticeable because her eyes are all bright blue anyway. <laughs> yes, but it and it's you know it it adds, it adds to it as along with the the way she stands, the way she talks to people, the way she's constantly moving the story forward. It's very very much this. She she has that aura about her that says that I am this character. Mm-hmm. You can't deny it. That's basically what I felt, and right. it, all those little pieces add to it. You don't see Kate Beckinsale playing Celine. You do see Celine up there. Right. I mean, exactly. And and I yeah I agree. I think that pulls off beautifully. And and her strength and her performance I think helps pull the audience in and believe this world even more. Where we have, uh, you know, werewolves like Lucian, played by Michael Sheen. Who, uh, yes, folks, spoiler room. Who's supposed to be one of the uh, original Lycans, but who was supposed to have been killed by Craven played by Shane Broly, and I, I enjoyed these two characters quite a bit. And The story they have of how they're secretly working together. Glenn, did you see that coming at all uh, with that, with this movie? Did they make that a little bit uh, telegraphed, or, or was that a bit of a surprise seeing these two characters have worked together for like a century or two? I wasn't, I wasn't really surprised by it, no. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I've played a lot of Vampire the Masquerade and games like that. And these are the types of things that, and I've read a lot of books, and these are the types of things that happen a lot. Mm-hmm. So I don't think they telegraphed it a lot. Sure. But to someone that I think is has watched a lot of these types of films and read a lot of these types of books, it came as no shock. Sure. Sure. And and then, of course, the fact that we, as we learned, the, the werewolves aren't exactly all the the vicious killers were taught you know you're 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 lean to be and that selena's been trained to and then you kind of find out that the vampires have been the assholes which 
that wasn't a big surprise to me. How about you, David? The fact that you find out that the the vampires, uh, namely uh, Bill Nighy's Victor, who shows up later, is actually the bad guys and not the werewolves. <laughs> well, um, I think uh, I think that's kind of like a given uh, that uh, because uh, wolves in general are animals, and uh, when backed into a corner, uh, they'll fight back. You know, and when you have them mixed with uh, being these transformed, you know, human beings that have been like have had years of slavery, you know, it's more or less a given that, you know, these werewolves will fight back eventually and find the courage to, you know, group together and, you know, take a stand. So, and and despise the vampire lords, uh, if you will, who who are very arrogant. Uh, you know, they have yeah, some very craven. The craven definitely seems very snobbish. <laughs> craven, craven felt like he felt like Lestat Light, like he was some wannabe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, he really felt like the wannabe. I thought Shane Broly played him well, but. He really just felt like a guy who, you know, at any one point would, in a legitimate fight, get his ass kicked, which we, we kind of learn later on in here, uh, which leads me to the action scenes in here. Uh, Glenn, how would you feel about the, the action scenes and the choreography that they had in here, especially for it being an early 2000s film? How did you feel about the action scenes? Oh, I thought they were really well done. Mm-hmm. Um they look absolutely amazing when you watch the film on uh, double speed. <laughs> I, I, I hadn't watched this in probably, it's probably been close to a year. Mm, okay. uh, I started watching it the other night and then I got distracted by other stuff. So then I finished off like the second half uh, in the last like half hour sure. watching it at double speed. And it looks freaking amazing that way. Um, <laughs> but I, I enjoyed it. I, 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 I thought it was well done. I also I, I want to point out one of the things that I really like about this movie um, that that I think they did better in a lot of ways than uh, a lot of White Wolf stuff did, at least in the early days of White Wolf, is the fact that um, they've adapted to the modern times of the well, shit, yeah, in 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 a war you're going to use guns. Yeah, my God, why wouldn't you use guns? It's like it's like I, you know, it, there's a lot of movies where you see vampires and werewolves, and they're still just like. Well, you know, just going to run up to you and claw you. It's like, dude, I'm going to put a bullet through your vampire skull from half a mile away is what I'm going to do. There's no, there's <laughs> so little risk involved there. Um, so, I mean, I think the fight scenes in general were really well done. I like the, a lot of the firefight scenes, especially something you don't see often in movies and you get this in this one is you have collateral damage. Mm-hmm. You have a civilian casualties. You know, it's like so many movies where it's like people open fire like in a crowded subway, and only and no the bad guys—just the bad guy. You know, bad guys get shot. That's it. I'm like, really? You just sprayed a subway car with machine gun fire? There's like 30 people. Everybody ducked in time. I don't think so. <laughs> so I thought they did a really good job with that. Yeah, I, I will say. Yeah, I like. I, I thought they did a good job with those action scenes quite a bit. The gunplay was a lot of fun. Paul, how'd you feel with these? action scenes uh the way they were choreographed and and directed and such they were a huge blessing for me so despite the fact that white wolf sued the filmmakers Mm -hmm. for doing for supposedly 
uh, copying a lot of the things. I think that this they did a wonderful service for the people that play Vampire the Masquerade uh, and Werewolf uh, because I was able to use scenes from the movie and say, okay, remember that scene from Underworld? Now envision <laughs> that. And it instantly you could see it in their faces that they understood. They could see it because someone actually went through and created the visual image that they needed to say, see. And that goes just beyond. That's not just with the action scenes itself. Uh, it also with the, with the way they dressed, the way you know all the things and how gunplay worked. And and you know uh, having somebody use two pistols at the same time, it was it was very easy for me from that point on to play the game or to show new players how to play the game by by basically translating that entire scene out for them and, and it was just like oh wow that makes sense i'm so happy and that so it was a blessing the action scenes in this film yeah they they were uh, really a highlight and uh not quite as flashy as what you might see i mean they still had a lot of style is to them but as Glenn mentioned, there is collateral damage in here, which which surprised me, which I think added to the brutality of, of their battle. David, uh, how'd you feel with these action scenes? Um, well, I definitely uh, felt like the uh, the action uh, scenes were, uh, uh, like Paul sa uh, said, they uh, they were a blessing. I mean, uh, uh, to be honest, uh, I, I mean, you got this if uh, this female badass. Who's uh, go, uh, going around, jumping down, landing on her feet? <laughs> uh, you got the uh, the other guy, uh, uh, the other guy, uh, Scott Speed is Speedman, who pl uh, plays uh, the uh, co uh, co uh, the Cor right the, the Corlean Corvin, the the descendant Corvin Corvin character, uh, and he back he basically backflips onto the uh, on the uh, onto the ground. You know, uh, and uh, the action scenes uh, there, uh, uh, where oh oh, and uh, you get you got um, Lucian when when he actually um, gets uh, the blood inside him. Right. You have the the uh, weapons that come out and his enormous speed. I mean, you definitely see a lot of action in that area area too. So. Yeah, I I kind of dug that, especially the way they handled the final scene in here. Where, well, the, the the near scene here where Michael he ends up becoming the hybrid that Victor was worried about and that uh, Lucian wanted, um, because Victor he's raised early because we learned the vampires have this thing where the real ancient guys skip uh, uh, centuries by pretty much becoming uh, you know a Ronkopupil dehydrator. And thrown in in tubes for a hundred years, and then they just fill them back full of blood, and, and they're back. They're like, "Hey!" And it wasn't Victor's time, but <laughs> <laughs> Victor's here, and uh, Wait, he he's might as well to... kill the abomination. Right, exactly. Might as well kill the abomination because he's he's pure blood, you know, and he doesn't doesn't like the vampire, uh, you know, werewolves. And we learn to find out why he killed his own daughter because his daughter fell in love with the werewolf who happened to be Lucian because. You know the coincidence of the film, <laughs> films that we have, which uh, I really like that scene. I really like that scene where, where it kind of goes back in that memory. Uh, memory, and uh, there's another thing: the uh, the, uh, the memories. 
that's when uh, uh, that's when you you start seeing like uh, vampires actually being able to transfer memories uh, uh, dur uh, during blood, and I don't think I remember seeing that in any previous vampire fi uh, films besides uh, maybe um, Interview with the Vampire just a little bit, but. Um, um, I definitely f feel like uh, they took that memory um, transferring uh, uh, when they uh, when they bite or or uh, uh, when they give blood or or uh, vice versa. They start getting you know the memories of that person uh, so that the, uh, uh, then they understand you know. So yeah, I kind of I kind of dug that that it, and it was both with both uh, werewolf and vampires when they bit someone they shared memories uh glenn mm -hmm. what you feel what'd you feel about that angle where uh they actually share memories did, did you think that was an interesting little twist to the uh standard werewolf vampire sure or ha um, or, ha or did they have that in white wolf as well <laughs> no i don't think they i don't think they had that in white wolf i'm not mm -hmm. i don't think they did there's a um, there's a thaumaturgy thing that you can taste oh, blood and do it yeah. yeah, yeah, there is actually. Um, <laughs> Copyright infringement, right there. No, I'm just I also, I also, <laughs> as much as I, as much as I played White Wolf, I actually played Vampire probably the least out of all their titles. Ah, um, and and a lot of the stuff was there was a lot of extra, also really type stuff thrown in our games. Um, <laughs> so I, I played a lot more Werewolf, and I, I played a lot. We played a lot more as. We were actually the hunters, ah, as yes, opposed yes, to being yes. the vampires or the werewolves. Even before they had hunter source material out, hmm. that's what we played. Um, so I, I, I'm sure there's plenty of stuff in, in, in the game world that I miss, especially when it comes to uh, the, the Tremere especially. <laughs> they were the, the big spellcastery types, like the wizards of the vampire world, in, as far as the Camarilla went. Mm-hmm. Because there's the two different groups, the two big groups, Camel and the Sabbat. So, but that's getting into a whole different level of nerdy. <laughs> this podcast is not about. That would be for my other podcast. They, they can be for your with, other podcast. With Brad, with did, Brad, did, a lot. Now, did anyone uh, 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 get the extended version of the Underworld when it came out? You mean the one with the kiss? Yeah, the one with the uh, uh, the extra sex scene. Um, I don't think I got the unrated version. No, I do have the one where they kissed. Well, they, it, the original, but there was there was an extra sex scene between the blonde and Craven that was added in the under underworld, um, the uh, unrated version or oh, the yeah. extended version. Yep, yep, the I've extended version. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the the blonde, the blonde who was who I never quite understood exactly where her motivation. What? Her motivation is she was basically uh, she was she was basically one of those vampires that was just uh, obsessed with Cra Craven. And mm -hmm. uh, if you think about vampire sexual uh, sexology, <laughs> um, uh, there are some kinds of vampires that, uh, or not vampires, humans, uh, humans uh, that can be addicted to vampire uh, 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 vampire biting. You know, and right. uh, I think because she was, you know, she wanted to be his, or she she wanted to be his only person in his life. So that that is why she uh, she did what she did with Celine, 
or yeah, oh, well, because he was obsessed with Celine, so she had her escape so she could have Craven for him herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I was just trying to figure out: is she going for power? Is she going for Craven? She's you know, going for sex. She's, she's going, going for, for sex. <laughs> she was she was just the sex pot. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, which we we do have this romance that the, the budding romance between uh, uh, Celine and Michael, the human turned werewolf, who's the descendant of original which, werewolves. Um, which I didn't mind uh, <laughs> in here because I thought I thought it was played enough, but it wasn't like. It, it didn't wasn't the turn, main thing. It didn't turn out to be her motivation, which a lot of films, I think, had in the past who have done similar type stories where you got vampire versus, you know, like, you know, whatever, uh, two different groups. Uh, you know, you get one as a badass female character, but all of a sudden she starts to kind of go soft. And in here, I didn't get that feeling. Paul, did you uh, think they handled that, the, the romance, if you will, storyline well in this one? The romance, yes. The sex scene, no, because I thought the <laughs> angle was wrong. We even we even joked about it. We thought they were having belly button sex. Seriously, <laughs> the angle just seemed really off. Well, uh, I, I'm not sure if they got to the full pants off mode yet. I think they were oh. still in the the in the the foreplay playing with the topless part. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. That that explains it all. Uh, but <laughs> honestly, I didn't like the Michael and character. It, so. And if you said. If you think about it hard enough, vampires don't even have to have sex. That's exactly to have it. an orgasm. That is exactly it. the the whole The whole act of biting all they have to do the, all they have to do is just wiggle their fingers and they uh, and they've orgasmed. You know. <laughs> well, to to me, the vampire has always been about the 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 blood. The, that that whole metaphor of of biting and sucking and exchanging. Of of the of the bodily fluid in that aspect is much more sexy to me than the actual thing, and so the the romance was I don't know it just I, I usually love romances. I was going to say that's stuff. why I that's why I asked. Yeah, you. but it, it happens to be that I don't like the Michael character. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, I think if it would have been, and I know it would have ruined the story had it been more like a Lucian or Celine type of romance thing. I would have enjoyed that more. Only because I like the Lucian character more, uh, I think that's probably what what ruined the whole romance for me. And I know that the, that story would have been worse off for having that kind of relationship. They needed to have the Michael Celine connection. Did anyone notice that the actress who played um, the uh, uh, the original um, um, girl <laughs> who was the daughter? Did yeah. anyone notice that uh, she was not the actress who played? In in the uh, in the rise of the lichens, yeah, yeah, yep. Well, yeah. <laughs> it, um, well, she was originally supposed to. The the girl who played her was originally supposed was going to play uh, Celine. She tried for Celine's part mm-hmm. actually. Uh, from what yeah. I was reading up on it, if it's uh, if it is true uh, that that she was going to be that, but um. Yeah, uh, it's it's interesting with the romance in here. Um, I don't think it would have worked with it being Lucian, only because Lucian still was carrying a torch for his uh, his ash turned uh, vampire 
Exactly. Exactly. Girl, you know, so that really wouldn't work. It it did work though, and it made sense. It was a good setup for him for kind of uh, being a little soft on Celine and Michael. You know, Celine uh, uh, rescuing Michael because he saw that there were emotions there, which of course flare back to his emotions um, <laughs> at all. So I, I think that I thought they played with the romance fairly well, uh, but they didn't make it too evident in here, which, like I said, we've seen in the past in films like this. Um, and it didn't, I don't think it ever became her motivation. You know, Michael was her sole motivation for this. There were other, a lot of other factors involved. Glenn, did you get that feeling that uh, unlike some other movies, the love wasn't just her sole motivation to do what she did in the finale, you know, go after Michael and, and take out the uh, lichens and such. No, it wasn't her sole motivation. There, there's all, it's it's i mean it's still there right but no there was more than that yeah and uh i i think so and i thought that was handled well by them now uh we're gonna go and uh i think we've touched on a number of things here and i'd like to hear some uh ideas or questions that the uh, group here may have for this film but before we get to your uh, guys' question, I want to ask one that Dawn actually presented, the diva of the spoiler room. She's not in here tonight, but she did have a question about the Celine character that I'd love to get all of your opinions on. She asked after rewatching it, she said, is Celine a strong female character or is she just a badass character, basically, who happens to be female? Because there is a bit of a difference. Uh, Glenn, we'll start with you. What What do you think? Do you think Celine's a strong female character or just a badass character, and they happen to make her female? Why can't she be both? She can. No, that's fine. Oh, yeah. It's just a uh, question. <laughs> no, yeah, <laughs> I'm not saying like you know what the fuck's wrong with you, Mark. She can be no, um, no. <laughs> uh, I I think it's it's a little. Of both. I mean, obviously, I think she's uh, a badass character and, and who happens to be female, but I think it's also um, I mean, I think you would easily switch it around and have the Celine character be a male and have the have the uh, Michael character be Michelle. Mm-hmm. You could do that easily, or even just, or even have instead Leave of Celine, Michael. Celine, you could have Stanley and Michael. Sure, why right. not? Yeah. Um, or Celine and uh, Michelle. You know, it could be anything. <laughs> um, hmm, that actually sounds like a better. <laughs> Never mind. Never mind. My brain is going places it shouldn't. Um, no, I, I think it's, it's. I mean, I think they made a strong character, and, and yes, she's female. Um, so then, of course, just in and of that, then it just makes her a strong female. But I don't think that is strictly, I think she's just a strong, badass character in general. Sure. Paul, would you agree with that? Or uh, what do you think about that? Uh, is she a- uh, I- male character or I, I would I would agree that she is a badass character mm-hmm. uh, and I do agree with Glenn that uh, the the answer is definitely both but mm-hmm. to answer Don's question I think the way Don wanted it answered uh, I'm going to go with one one more so than the other and I'm sure. going to say that I think the intention was to create a badass character. And they didn't care that it was a female uh, because story-wise, it didn't need it. It didn't like Glenn said. It it, it could have been Stanley. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, there's nothing in the past 
that would where gender was a, a, an issue with this character growing, you know? So sure. yeah, it, to me, it was just a, a really badass character uh, who to me, badass and strong can be very similar. Sure. Uh, but there, there, there was some sides of her that you don't really get to see until the sequels, which we won't talk about. You said, so uh, <laughs> we want to try to keep it to this first one. Cause if exactly. we go, we'll but I think other. that's, that's where the, the strong character eventually comes out where mm-hmm. she loses a little bit of that bad attitude and then becomes more of a, a, a strong character. It was later on. So the, the introduction of her badass character and then later on, Sure. Evolves. Good answer. Good answer. And David, how about you? Well, um, I, I ultimately believe that the, uh, the, the answer is both as well. Uh, but um, she ultimately did not. Uh, she was ultimately a badass up until the, uh, the point where uh, she learned of the truth. Right. And uh, 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 to me, it, it, it was like it, it, she she wasn't strong until until that moment of learning uh, the, uh, learning that uh, the entirety of that truth, and that's when I think in that moment that she became a strong female character. So, yeah. um, that is uh, uh, that is what I believe. Uh, believe. It, it, I mean, she, it's not that she started melting or anything like that, uh, that but uh, she kind of had she kind of had to protect. The uh, 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 Michael uh, fr- uh, from the co- uh, Covenant. So th- uh, that was her. That was her um, inane duty to uh, 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 to uh, to try uh, try to do that, and right. uh, and it was I think something in her vampire training. So it was it was ultimately both in the end for me too. And and I would have to say too, she starts off as just the badass character, but by the end, especially as truths are revealed and she starts to feel feelings for Michael, she, she also is a strong female character by the, by the end of the film. And as mentioned, we get to see more of that angle through the sequels. Uh, but near the end of here, you get to see it because uh, she, she's, doesn't take some of the cliches that you would you, you, we've seen in the past with similar characters, um, you, you know, with with how their character kind of changes, and, and she doesn't. She stays a badass, but you can see some strength in her, um, you know. And, and yeah, especially the the gender in this one doesn't matter nearly as much as in the later films, either. But uh, the fact that it is a female, I think she comes across both badass and a strong female character. And uh, Dawn had just had a follow-up question, which uh, if you guys want to uh, answer real quick, she goes, is Erica, who's the blonde, who, who you know, got with uh, our uh, bad guy, is she any less of a strong female character than Celine is? Paul? Uh, no. I think she had, she had her own different set of motivations, and she followed mm-hmm. them through. So to me, that, that in a way is a badass type of thing too she knew how to manipulate uh the people around her and so and because she was in a she was raised in a much different environment than celine so you know celine had her tools right uh, and and you know um erica, so had hers. Er, erica had her own set of tools and her she, own set of skills and she she was able to use them just as badass as mm-hmm. as celine was so yeah 
you know, she had her own assets, so to speak. Um, <laughs> sorry, I couldn't resist. <laughs> David, would you agree uh, our blonde Erica was uh, probably as strong as a female character, even though she approached things differently than Celine? It wasn't until I, I saw a little bit of the extended uh, 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 version that, uh, that I sure. realized that the blonde had more uh, more of a... Uh, a role in because uh, I think there was another scene that was added besides that with her uh, with with her in it, and, and I think that was uh, was probably because her role was quite small to begin with, but um, I definitely think that uh, that uh, that she was beautiful enough to be uh, be a vampire uh, because uh, uh, let's be honest, most vampires are like these uh, uh, skinny minis that uh, uh, that end up be, uh, be, uh, being like. Uh, in the perfect additions of health, you don't really see any fat mother uh, motherfucking vampires out there, you know. Unless it's Blade, and then Blade, you get to see. <laughs> no. Uh, and uh, on the, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I definitely think that uh, she definitely had some strong features about uh, strong something strong about her. Sure. Gwen, would you agree as well? Erica was actually a strong female character as well. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in her own way. And it's, it's one of the things I like is that uh, both her and Celine also have, they're also flawed, mm -hmm. which makes them more believable characters. Um, it's what happens in a lot of, of movies, you know, action type movies you have your hero and your hero is pretty much this. They don't really have, they're like perfect. Mm-hmm. They've got no flaws at all. You know, it's like their motivation is pure and just 100%. And, you know, and there's nothing nothing bad about anything they do. And and these people, I believe, because they're strong and they have their own motivations. And, and they also have their own, you know, imperfections. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I would definitely say that she's, if not, if not as far as Selena, definitely close enough. Sure. Yeah, I I would say so as well. Uh, with with all the points that you gentlemen have uh, mentioned so far, so uh, let's go and see who has a topic or question that you might want to bring to the group that we can answer here. Uh, David, we'll start with you. Did you have anything uh, that we haven't covered yet that you want to talk about? Well, um, the uh, the thing that I uh, I noticed the most about the f uh, f uh, film was uh, uh, oh. Um, what did everyone think about that? Uh, uh, that um, the, the the transformation in the uh, in the part where where the big werewolf uh, came uh, came out, and because that was the first time you actually saw a, a full transformation, not from the inside but from the outside on one uh, one of the werewolves, where he went up against the guy with the whips. Oh yeah, the. Uh... The full, where we get to see a guy turn into full-on werewolf. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Glenn, how, how'd you feel about the werewolf change in, in that scene? And, and I'd say in general, too, uh, the, the werewolf scene. How'd you feel about the, their changes? I thought it was great because it didn't melt into a puddle of goo and then reform uh, <laughs> from out of that. <laughs> I thought it was well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Paul. How about you? Did you did you like the transformations of the werewolves in here? Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a highlight for me, but it was okay. It didn't distract. So, yeah. 
Yeah, and what I like, what's interesting about this film is watching it, it's from 2003, but I will say that <laughs> on the whole, for what they've got going on in here, for the amount of visual effects, they were really well done, and especially with the transformation of the werewolves, I think they handled it because you don't stay on them that long. It didn't, the, the effects didn't feel as dated as some other newer films do, uh, you know, ones after it. With, with the changes in that, I thought the special effects in here in general were done really well. And the werewolves, yeah. I mean, it was a little bit quick, but I, I like the transformations that they had, the transitions they had, especially at that end with, with the guy with the whips. Um, I thought that was an interesting battle. Here you think, here's just two minor characters that actually have a showdown and get some screen time, which I, I kind of dug. Um, and speaking of the, the guy who played Raz, who... Uh, was the big badass uh, werewolf was the guy who helped co-write the story, but his voice was not modulated at all. That's no, it's his... just, yeah, it's naturally just that. <laughs> He's just got that naturally low voice. I thought that was amazing. I'm like, wow, man, I wish I had that. Voice. <laughs> I'm just, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know much about him other than a bunch of the movies he's been in. Um, I don't, but I mean, imagine imagine if he was your dad and like, you know, you're like tucked in bed and all of a sudden like from out in the hall, it's like, how are you doing? I'm like, that was scared the shit out of me. Like that dad, that voice coming to check on you at night. I'd be like up on the ceiling, like what the? <laughs> <laughs> he is a very intimidating voice. I, I loved it. And I love the fact it wasn't modulated at all. So, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Yeah, the effects in here in general, especially the wolf transition, I thought were handled well and, and didn't feel as dated as I thought they would while rewatching this. So, uh, Glenn, do you have a topic or question we haven't covered already? You covered mine right in the beginning with the whole, I was going to ask if anyone else had noticed the similarities between this and the Vampire the Masquerade games, if anyone oh. had played those. So that's already been covered quite well. Oh, I'm sorry, Glenn. I didn't mean to. That's fine, man. But I would, I would like to add that uh, even though I praise this movie for helping me with the White Wolf thing, uh, in in the defense of this film, White Wolf is so broad that you could cover just about any kind of movie, you know. So uh, I think there was kind of stretch. Yes, there were some very very like oh yeah that's kind of a white wolf thing but when you're you're discussing a thing called you know uh basically gothic punk you know mm -hmm. it, it's like saying uh i don't know it's it's like saying like blade runner stole things from cyberpunk novels well jeez <laughs> well they did <laughs> yeah <laughs> shadow run it's shadow, totally yeah. stole from shadow it's run totally did that yes exactly well, I mean, I, I think there's much more obvious similarities in, in this than there is between just general Blade Runner and and uh, cyberpunk books. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, the, the, the genre itself, uh, I mean, the, the, the costuming and, and, oh, sure. and all of those things, those, those are just general things. And, and if, you, if you play uh, vampire, you know that they have all these clans, and each of these clans represent some type of, a, of an aspect of, of the thing. So you basically cover 
every gambit of the of the human personality it's like it's hard not to have it and white wolf also grabs from a lot of different source material too they did their research so who's to say that underworld didn't do the same thing grab from the same source materials well but anyways that's just me We'll never know, but White Wolf got some bank, so yeah. <laughs> which uh, which is interesting about the bank of this film because it made uh, more than double its budget back, which is always good. But what's funny is I read somewhere that it sparked just from the pre-sales of the tickets. I guess in like Canada or whatever alone. Yeah, they greenlit the sequel and the prequel. Yeah. Before the film was even wide release, they just said, Whoop, no, we're doing this, which, uh, you know, you could kind of see with this where they would lead, where they could get that prequel story from as they do the flashbacks, as we've mentioned before, where we get uh, Lucian and, and his uh, woman, which is what uh, Rise of the Lycans is about, if I remember correctly, um, is, is their story. Mm-hmm. So uh, you can see the setup, but yeah, just based off of pre-sales, and uh, this is back before internet explosion. Uh, you know, internet was growing at that time, but still, you're like, yeah, no, you can you can get two more films. And we're like, yes, <laughs> you know, um, and and it made it made a substantial. The first film made enough, I guess, that would have justified a sequel anyway, because usually if you can make more than double its money back, um, at least in normal budget. Uh, it's it, it can qualify for a sequel in in Hollywood eyes. So, here's a question. Yeah, what's up? Um, uh, what um, d- uh, does anyone feel like this is the best film of the series? Ooh, uh, Paul. For me, yes, it was because it introduced all the characters that I enjoyed for the rest, and also to it, it I felt that the the entire feeling that i had ten as as the as the series progressed it sort of deviated from all the things that i really liked about the first film so yeah that's it to me this was and and maybe it's just because it was when it came out just like the i do the same thing with the matrix uh where the the second one is not that bad it's not as bad as i think it is a uh, third one is not as bad as everyone else says it think that, that it is. Um, but it's because the first one was so, so it, it gave me such happy, happy feelings. So this movie is going to have that special place in my heart. And so that, that way, that way, this film will be the, the best one in my mind, regardless of how good the other ones turned out. Oh, good. Glenn, how about you? The best of the series, uh, <laughs> probably, mm-hmm. um, for some of the same reasons I believe what Paul said is that it introduced everything, yet everything started. Um, or I should guess, I don't even know if it's maybe the best, but my favorite. Mm-hmm. Kind of the same way I feel like Star Wars is my favorite of, of the franchise, mm-hmm. even though I don't think it's the best film of the franchise. So I think that's, it might be more this is my favorite. I mean, I'd have to revisit the rest, but probably the best one, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I like number two. The, the last one we won't talk about much. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. a maybe on best, but I would say it's my favorite. How about you, David? You answered your own question. <sighs> well, um, 
I'd have to agree with uh, Glenn there that, that it would actually uh, definitely be my favorite of the film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, also the best. But there is uh, at least one other favorite in the series of mine, uh, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I, I would definitely say, uh, say that this one would, would be my favorite because it definitely introduced all the characters that I liked uh, to begin with. And um, I think that, um, yeah, it it definitely inspired a a franchise. There was definitely room for um, storylines there, but I I think they've kind of sailed that boat. (laughs) Yeah, I I think for me, after revisiting this, uh, this is probably my favorite. I did like two. I thought three was a lot better than it was going to be for being a prequel. I'm going to say that. Um, but after a while, the film, and it's not just a guy thing. It's just in general, her performance, her character. After a while, you, the series felt like more of you were watching it for Celine and not so much for the story. And in this one, you've gotten a, great, you know, a good, decent story and her. But as the series goes on, it becomes, it, you know, you end up watching her being a badass more. So you, they could have just had her, you know, shooting things for 90 minutes. (laughs) And it almost felt that way in some movies later on. Um, A film we're going to talk about later on is part of a series that I think took a similar route uh, in that it really kind of lost focus to what it was originally its source material. And that's the Resident Evil series as well, (laughs) um, which we'll be covering later this month. But uh, yeah, I'd say this one is probably still, uh, the most solid film for me and, and probably my favorite. Uh, so, and Paul, how about you? Did you have a question or topic we haven't covered that you may want to talk about? Um, my question would be about its legacy. What is the legacy of Underworld? Uh, did it make uh, impact on films after it? Did it make any changes to the whole concept of the badass character or the badass female? Um, you know, that, that's my question. Glenn, what do you think the legacy is of Underworld? Do you think it influenced the films after it? Um, you think it had an impact? What, what do you think is, is kind of the legacy it left, if any, uh, after it came out? Um, did it leave a legacy? I mean, maybe a little bit. I mean, it, it, it kind of built on what I think was already a thing because, I mean, this is after Blade, and, and I've already talked about the similarities with White Wolf and all that stuff, so I mean... It kind of just added to an existing legacy, um, unless unless you're talking about just simply the legacy of uh, let's have lots of movies with Kate Beckinsale in in this outfit. <laughs> then it, it definitely spawned that legacy. Um, what about the bad, badass female character though? Uh, legacy? Do you think this helped kind of give it a push? Or I think it added to it. I don't think it like it, it did anything like spectacularly for it because I think there's. There's some people who will still just say that she, you know, people, and I think it's people who probably didn't watch it. Um, mm-hmm. And just it, the fact that, well, you know, they just looked at her and thought that she was just there to be eye candy. Right. Um, so I think some people may have dismissed it outright just based on that. But I mean, I don't know. I also like what uh, Thomas Burdinsky, uh said, <laughs> commented. That you know you can't objectively review these movies because Kate Beckinsale. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, I think that there's a, a point to that, but mm-hmm. I, I think it added to it added positively 
to an already existing legacy of this whole kind of, you know, uh, goth, industrial, punk, vampire genre thing. <laughs> and uh, David, how about you? Do you think it had an impact on, like, female characters to come, on the vampire films to come? Or I was... Uh... I think uh, I think it definitely had an impact on some of the films uh, uh, films later and um, afterwards. I mean, you can definitely tell that um, females began wearing leather afterwards, and <laughs> um, it definitely seemed to be. You definitely seem to see more females be, uh, being more of the lone wolf action f- f- figures uh, 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 recently atomic blonde you know that uh, that type of that type of uh action genre you know ultraviolet um i don't know whether that was before or after but uh, but i'm assuming it was after um and uh films of that nature um incl- including and and flux um you know, uh, those types of films, you know, um, you definitely saw, uh, saw some lead female characters that were pretty much badass. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, Ultraviolet was actually 2006. So this would have been right after it. And that had uh, Miss Resident Evil herself, uh, Mia Jovovich in it, um, you know, and uh, what's interesting is just a year prior to this film resident evil came out so we did have this trend of mm-hmm. kind of uh, uh it was building helping build i think this trend of of more lone wolf badass female characters paul to answer your own question what do you think uh i would agree with the rest of you that it probably added to the existing trend um i would have liked um th- i would have liked to have this movie make a much bigger impact i know fashion wise it did make a a, a large impact on a, a lot of people uh a lot of people kind of started well i don't know you, you go to the adult stores you can kind of see some of that stuff more readily available and you started i think people started to realize that the stuff that was taboo bondage gear wasn't as taboo as they think you know it was like well that actually does look quite attractive on people and you know Maybe they wanted to portray their fantasies as being a vampire. I don't know. Um, so I think in, in that aspect, it continued on. But for me, a lot of that gothic punk did die down. Um, and then you even got to see White Wolf disappear. And then now it's kind of resurging back again. Uh, so uh, this movie probably had a huge impact at its time. Legacy-wise, I think we have to wait another um, you know, 15 years to see where this, if, if it truly does make an impact, I think. Sure. Yeah. I I would say it might take some time, especially if you can stop making them as much as we enjoy seeing the Mm. Celine character on screen, um, which I fully admit, I'm not going to lie, but, um, but I think it's her performance to in these films that has kept it going. But I think if they would let it, breathe for a little while um which there was distance between the the sequels i mean we got a sequel last year um or this was that just this year that was just this year wasn't it <laughs> blood war um yeah uh that you know it's it's been uh it, they had some time between the sequels so it's interesting they're still they're, they keep making them um but i think if they let out just 
die fade away for a while we can still see if it still lasts and hangs around if people are still talking about it like we are today or if it kind of fades into the pile of other uh, vampire werewolf films that are out there that there is a rather abundance out there um including one such series that we will not mention dear lord uh, they don't sparkle anyway And with that said, we're going to wrap it up tonight. I hope you enjoyed our discussion of Underworld and uh, kicking off our Badass Women Month here. Now, this is the point of the podcast where uh, I get my guests here to tell you where you can find them at when they aren't here down in the spoiler room. Glenn, where can we find you at? You can find me on Facebook with the Movie Bunker and a bunch of my different games, Mist Runner and Demon Eater and Apocalypse, uh, How. You can also find me on Twitter at Guy in a Bunker or also on Galactic Netcast with my gaming podcast, Adventure Party. Awesome. And on YouTube. And on YouTube, yes, the B-Movie Bunker. Check out his, uh, all that great stuff from Glenn. Uh, a lot of uh, great material there, especially for you gamers, the uh, Adventure Party. I'm, I'm just, I, I dabble in it. I play casually and such, and I find a lot of great interesting things in that show. So uh, make sure you check that out. And David, where can they find you at? Well, um, I uh, run Movies Galore of Milwaukee, which is a silent film to uh, anything recent in development uh, discussion page. Uh, um, And I run a review site of the same thing. And recently I uh, started a podcast called Inside Movies Galore, uh, where um, I gathered a group of uh, my own. And sometimes I have directors and actors on and we're in our 14th episode coming up this Tuesday. Nice. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. Um, And uh, so, and uh, as a producer, um, well, an executive producer, I can now say, um, as I said last night in our, in my podcast, uh, I am an executive, one of the executive producers behind uh, uh, Brad Twig's uh, wrestle massacre. Oh, cool! Uh, coming out so uh, in 2018. So. We we need more wrestling horror films out there. <laughs> like the WrestleManiac was it, and then wrestlers versus zombies. Uh, that one was fun too. <laughs> uh, so so awesome, but. good stuff. Just folks, make sure you check it out and his podcast as well. It's a it's a fun listen. And Paul, how about you, sir? Where can you find? Um, I'm, I've been really focused lately on the Northeast Wisconsin Horror Film Festival, which you is taking yeah, <laughs> which is taking place uh, October 14th through the 15th uh, at the Time Community Theater in uh, Oshkosh, Wisconsin. There's 42 films, uh, basically uh, 39 uh, short films and three feature-length films. Uh, we have filmmakers from all over the world submit to us, and we had a committee of people. Yeah, they submitted to us. Um, they <laughs> submit. We had a, submit. Uh, we had a, a committee of people go through all these films, and then we picked the films that that we thought the rest of the audience would enjoy. Uh, come on down. All the proceeds go to the Time Community Theater, and we're trying to partner up with a lot of different people. So we want to make this a huge success. This is our second year, and also because it's our second year, we're going to have a free showing of Friday the Thirteenth Part Two the very uh, day before our festival at the time community theater, it's entirely free. You can come down there, watch it 
and and have a good time and and just enjoy everything that is that is horror. <laughs> It is indeed a fun time. Yes, there may even be sightings of a movie man down there, so I hear. Um, there better be. I made the hotel reservation, so I've got to go now. <laughs> so I'd sleep in my car if it meant a chance to go to that film festival. So thank you all, gentlemen, for uh, joining us tonight to talk about Underworld. Hope you folks enjoyed our discussion. And, uh, yeah, I think we'll wrap it up for the night now. Say goodnight, gentlemen. Good night, gentlemen. Good night. Gentlemen, Kate Beckinsale and Monday. Hey, all my spoiler group friends out there, if you like what you hear, why not head on over to iTunes and like, comment, and even subscribe to our channel. It always helps us out. Or you can find us on Stitcher Radio as well. You can drop us a tweet on the Twitter at Spoiler Room PDCS or Special Mark Pro. Look for us also on Facebook at the Spoiler Room Podcast or in the Special Mark Productions Facebook group. Let us know what movies or topics you'd like to be discussed in the Spoiler Room where the conversation is fresh, but we do spoil the movies.